Hi, welcome to Tube to Table, the podcast about helping tube-fed kids become happy and healthy eaters. Every week, we will dive into the basics of tube weaning to help unravel the conflicting information families get from doctors, therapists, friends, and family. I'm Jenny, a feeding therapist, mom, and food lover. And I'm Heidi. I'm also a feeding therapist, and I love sharing meals with friends and family and helping kids learn to eat. Come with us as we share practical tips and provide real-world expert advice so that parents can help their little ones start their journey from feeding tube to family table. Hello, and welcome to episode 22 of the Tube to Table podcast, Feelings. This week, we're going to talk about all the feelings that parents experience um, from the beginning of thinking about weaning their child from a feeding tube all the way to having a happy oral eater. I'm Jenny, and I'm joined by my colleague, Heidi, as always. Heidi, how are you today? I'm great, Jenny. How are you today? I'm doing really good. I'm getting ready. The holiday season feels like it arrived all of a sudden with a, mm-hmm. without a warning, even though we always know yeah. it's coming. It yeah. feels like it's starting to sneak up on me. So, <laughs> And since we're talking about feelings today, that brings up all the feelings of <laughs> Of excitement and joy and stress and worry and, you know, yes. holidays bring up all those things, both good and bad, yes. for sure. It's so true. And we are talking a little bit today about feelings because we often, I, I think the experience of having a kid that's tube fed, and then also, likewise, the experience of weaning a child off of a feeding tube when you may not have a lot of support can feel really isolating, especially since most people don't really know others or they, if they do, they have not known other parents of tube fed kids for very long. And um, we just wanted to talk a little bit about some universal experiences from a feeling standpoint and to let you guys know that there's a wide range of normal in terms of worry and all the emotions that come into play. And, um, and that, All of those things are okay. And then in a future episode, we'll talk a little bit about some strategies that families have shared with us that are effective at dealing with the different emotions at different phases of weaning and then having some helpful professionals on that can talk to us a little bit about strategies that are tried and true (laughs) for coping during anything that's stressful, but especially something like weaning, which might sound funny like that weaning is stressful, but as most families know, having a kid with a feeding tube can be, is all, all often a a really a combination of things. There's a combination of feelings that come in, but when it comes to thinking about weaning your child off the tube or helping them become an eater, there's a lot of worry. And Heidi and I have some colleagues, um, Dr. Katja Rowell and Jenny McLaughlin, um, who are really amazing therapists. We'll link to their work um, at Extreme Picky Eating. But they have done a really great job of talking a little bit about the worry cycle that goes into um, feeding problems in children. And it certainly applies to feeding your tube-fed kids. So Heidi, would you talk a little bit about the worry cycle and kind of what you discuss with families as they're preparing to wean? I think when we go through our pre-treatment training, this is one that resonates with just about every parent on some level or another. So Katya's work talks about um, whatever was the, the starting event of a child born too early or a child that's very small, or even sometimes someone making an offhanded comment about how small your kid is or how big your kid is. This applies to both um, bigger kids and um, kids who are tube fed and lots of different things. But um, in our case, of course, we're talking about kids who are tube dependent, but that starts you worrying and that mm-hmm. starts the pressure 
And so then um, the pressure makes the child refuse or push back more, makes the thing, the whole situation scenario more contentious and which makes you worry more, which just keeps this never ending um, cycle going. And then it becomes a more negative experience and and takes on a life of its own. It Um, pulls people in. It pulls people in. It sucks you in like a whirlpool. In fact, the book um, pictures have a whirlpool in there. Like it's mm-hmm. a very good visual to have. It just sucks you in. Um, and I will say that of all the families we talk to, everybody resonates with this on some level mm-hmm. or another. They understand that worry because I think even even if you have a typically developing kid with no problems, worrying is part of parenting. It you is. Know, not knowing and you layer all these other things on top of it. And it feels, I think for some people, like you don't know when to stop and how to get out. Yeah. And feeding is so fundamentally linked to our identity as parents that when your child has a problem with feeding and you are hearing comments or, or just your own kind of wanting to help your child learn to eat and not being able to for really legitimate medical reasons. And then because the tube and kind of the, the things that have transpired because of the tube and and the medical conditions. Yeah, it's a really isolating thing. And what we see is that that worry translates to stress and pressure that we then parents start because we none of us are at our best when we're worried and stressed. We start engaging in some things and strategies that are counterproductive. But also another really common, aside from the worry, um, piece of feedback we get about kind of this pre-weaning phase um, the, the phase leading up to a child becoming, uh, looking to wean is that families feel isolated and they feel isolated by this thing that we've just talked about, which is that there's not often most families don't have a large group of resources of ki- of other parents of tube fed kids. So that's one thing. You may not just know anybody else that's tube fed. And if you do, you probably don't know a ton. It's probably not your peer group, <laughs> or at least it wasn't. And then also there's a really large lack of information Mm -hmm. out there, like we've talked about recently in the medical community, Um, but also uh, in feeding practices across the board uh, among family members. So you're getting a lack of really quality information that's paired with poor advice from family members and from your medical team, typically. And one of the unfortunate side effects of that is many families have um, some distrust of one or many medical professionals which is unfortunate because we need our medical professionals. And so I think it's something to realize that many families, everyone feels like it's this doctor or that therapist or this person was giving them bad advice. But, but I think part of the road to getting back to your medical team is realizing that there are medical professionals who want the best for their kids and are willing to collaborate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I I understand completely the lack of trust that comes with Mm it. Um, I can absolutely 100% see that part of the journey, but I I think, um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some strategies, but it occurs to me at this point that putting them back in the position of being the person who's responsible for keeping your child alive and healthy and growing can maybe help you trust them again a little bit more because your child is alive, you know, versus versus asking them to answer all of your questions about feeding because the majority of people that you're asking these questions of are not experts at getting children to eat. And yet they're the only people you have out there to get information from. And so it's just, it's a really raw, it's a hard thing. Yeah. It is a tricky spot. So, um, 
in addition to these kind, so that just that lack of trust that you're highlighting, Heidi, reminds me is just like of a lack of support. Like if you can't trust your medical team, if you're getting all different mixed messages from family members and medical professionals, you're not going to feel very supported. So that's one thing to concentrate on at all phases of the treatment, making sure that you're feeling supported where you can. And whether or not that's with a family member, a friend, a religious um, leader in your community, an actual mental health professional, you know, whoever it may be, you know, just we, it doesn't mean just because you're not feeling supported by the team that you're going to, to ask questions about feeding doesn't mean you can't find some Mm -hmm. of that support elsewhere. Um, And so I think kind of just acknowledging that this happens is really important. Like Heidi said, at Thrive by Spectrum Pediatrics, we talk about this extensively in the lead up to a wean because we think a lot of families and a lot of programs, frankly, skip over the parent piece of it. And parents are the most important agents of change when it comes to feeding their children Mm -hmm. and helping their children overcome feeding challenges. So we can't go without you guys. We we can't. If you're not okay, your child's not going to be able to do it. And that doesn't mean you have to put pressure on yourself to have all the feelings be simple. They're not going to be. But just acknowledging that it's there so that when the things bubble up, you can talk about them and address them. And before we leave this little pre-weaning phase, I think and the worry cycle, which is, you know, the feelings that run around in your head that keep you up at night, that you just know there's something not right, that there's something more you should be doing, that, you know, all those feelings that go around that worry cycle, I think it helps to know that this is what's going to get you out. Yes. That worry cycle is also saying there's something wrong, there's something more you can do, and plant your feet down and saying, all right. I'm going to use this as an agent of change. I'm going to use this worry and I'm going to take this information and take a next step, um, which leads us, I think, to the next step of, of change, of just saying, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to stop letting it spin around in my head and taking a little bit of control of your feelings and of the situation, I think, is going to be the next step in, in, in feelings. And I think that's what a lot of families we see coming in. I agree. And just like with the pyramid that we've talked about so many times in other episodes, just like it's helpful when you get stuck or where you're not, if you're not sure what your next step should be with your child in their development of, of a relationship with food and feeding skills, it's really helpful to step back and look, you know, at where you are in this cycle, because then you can take actions that are appropriate to what's going on. So if you're thinking about it and you're realizing that you're stuck in a counterproductive feeding practice by accidentally pressuring because that's something that's on this kind of vortex that pulls you in, you're going to be more apt to change that feeding practice if you can know Mm -hmm. that that's part of the cycle that you're on. And so, uh, yes, I think that I just like anything, right? Like identifying that there is a problem is the first step in solving the problem. And then once you know what the problem is, whatever solution you come up with is going to be more appropriate and have a better chance at getting you where you need to be. It's funny because I think the next stage that I often see, if we're calling the stages, I don't know if they are really stages, but um, but our treatment goes in stages. And so it's easy to, to think of it that way is first, there's some relief that they're, that people are taking a step. I get that feeling a lot. Yes. And then as they start to, as families start to realize some of the pressure that happens, um, families are often saying that they feel guilty. Yeah. Um, 
And I just want to say that out loud because I want to say to everyone that it's not your fault. And I understand that feeling. You're, everybody feels it at some point with something that you've done with your child ever, whether they have a feeding tube or not. I think that's also inherent in parenting. Um, but I just want to say, and I can't say it too many times, it isn't your fault. You don't need to feel guilty, but you can use it as a step to say, but what can I do differently? Yeah, you know, how lay can that I help them out now? Yeah, we can't mm-hmm. prevent our kids again, true for everything. We can't prevent our kids, nor do we really want to from having all the negative experiences and emotions. Our job is to be there to help them crawl out regardless of what helped them get in. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and we can't do that if we're not helping ourselves crawl out a little bit too. And so what, what, the, the worry cycle is helpful for us at all phases, working with families, parents in particular, at all phases of treatment. But in the weaning process itself. So like Heidi's right, that first when you find us or another program that's responsive and feels instinctually correct to you, there is some relief and hope and sometimes a little bit of kind of um, elatedness that comes with finally there's somebody that knows what they're doing that's willing to work with us and talk to us and answer our questions and think about our child's specific needs. And, and understands. The, yeah, that's willing mm-hmm. to really listen and understand. And that's really important. But that doesn't mean that the worry cycle's over. I wish it did. I wish we could just like hand you a ticket and be like, you're done. Congratulations. But the, other thing, yeah, the other thing that's really complicated during the weaning process itself, and the reason we're telling you this is if you're weaning your child at home with supervision from your child's existing medical team, you just when you start the wean, it's very normal to have big fluctuations in the way you're feeling as a parent. One of the main reasons is even though you may with every bone in your body, not want your child to be tube fed anymore. You you may want them to eat and most people do healthfully and without discomfort and with trust. You may with, want that for with every ounce of you. But when it's a different story when you start taking tube feeds away because most people are coming, the tube got placed during a very chaotic, often scary time. And the tubes often, as we talk about almost every episode, save lives and help children grow. Once we take that away or once you start to reduce the tube delivered nutrition, it unearths a lot of different feelings and they're different Mm -hmm. for everybody. For a lot of people, it's anxiety for a lot of some other people, it's anger. There's a wider range of feelings that can come up there. But just knowing that that's okay, that's different than like having fear or new emotions that aren't necessarily positive around a uh, situation is because of the lack of control that it, that feels like when you take the tube away. It's scary. It's okay that it's scary Mm -hmm. and it's okay if it's not, if you're feeling like you're handling it just fine, that's cool too. I mean, I I wish that that's the case for everybody, but it's so very, very natural once tube delivered nutrition starts being reduced, no matter how ready you think you are, how ready you think your child is for a lot of new stuff to come bubbling Mm -hmm. up that you thought was either dealt with or you hadn't even seen before. Most people are, some people are surprised. Some people are not surprised, but many people are surprised by the amount of motion, emotions that come in to that mm-hmm. process. And like you said, Jenny, I think some of it just brings up feelings from the past. Yeah. And I also think that some of it comes with um, some new responsibilities that you didn't feel like you're prepared for. Maybe, you know, medical teams have been making 
all of these decisions for you or you had a schedule to lean on that said we do 90 mls at two o'clock you know and so some of this is just a transition to a new period as well where you guys are you and your child are figuring each other out and it's a bit of a new relationship kind of feeling and the division of responsibility which we talk about at every phase of weaning the roles that family parents and children should play during meal times are going to look, those roles change dramatically when you're transition. The, the fundamentals are the same, but the way it looks or the way it kind mm-hmm. of comes to life during a meal is going to look a lot different when you're both when you're transitioning to oral eat, eating and then after when your child is an oral eater, there's a lot of newness. And with any ma- major transition, with anything that's new, there's going to be a lot of feelings. And so that's why it's really important for people to have up some support systems in place. And again, we're going to talk more about ways of doing that. But most people that come to our program have a really good self-awareness and know and know what they can do to help themselves. Um, I think one of the things that starts coming after that, so then you've got this feeling of uncertainty. And then when the kids start to eat, there's some little glimmers of hope that many people are actually even afraid to feel. They're mm-hmm. afraid to feel that hope, but it's okay to feel hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of is like, you know, plants poking up from the snow in the spring. It's there one day and then it's not there one day. It's like a, in the beginning, it's a little bit more fragile feeling, but it keeps getting stronger. Um, but I think the downside of the hope is doubt and going back and forth of, I'm hoping this is going to work. I'm doubtful my child can do it. I'm hoping it's going to work. I'm doubtful that it's going to get there. And like it's a flip-flop that goes back and forth for a little bit as these new skills are emerging and becoming a little bit stronger. And that's also normal. Um, It's also a a fine place to be. Um, And, but I think the hardest part about that one is this is the one where parents are always like, is this going to last forever? Am I going to feel this insecure forever? (laughs) It feels like a really long time. Um, And so in this phase, I think it helps to take some, some notes about what's going on and, and give yourself some truth of just saying, you know, it feels like he can't do it, but two days ago he hadn't done that at all, right. you know, or really giving yourself permission to hope. Or, and if you're like a visual person going back and looking at a video of before, if you're an, you know, an auditory person, making sure you have a therapist or a spouse or a family member, that's going to be able to tell you some of the reminders mm-hmm. that you put in place ahead of time. It's helpful to have these discussions ahead of time to have some kind of things that will kind of anchor you or bring you back to how can I really assess what's going on here and tease out what's fear or right. kind of big, scary emotions and what's really happening with my child. And it's all really doable. But I I guess my biggest piece of advice before we do another episode on coping in the near future and like what those strategies should look like would be just to make sure that you choose teammates, whether it be in your family or on your medical team, that are willing to have a conversation with you, that are willing to talk. It's not easy to get there, but, but it's possible. That are willing to have a conversation, that you're able to share what's going on with, because if you have that, it doesn't have to be in every single element of your team. It doesn't have to be everywhere. But if you have enough of that, then you're going to be able to, with your own, you know, fortitude and Mm -hmm. also the help of the people that love and care for you or who are caring for your child, get back on track. I I think the team would need to include a couple of different components in order to be the best um, scenario that you can come up with a medical professional who's going to look at you and say, you're, you're okay. He's okay. She's okay. You know, this is going to be okay. They're safe. 
Like yeah, they're going to be able to assess the medical safety and give you actual information about how your they're child's not just going to be cheery cheerleaders, but they right. have some actual knowledge and, and look at them and say they're fine, they're stable, this is okay. Like that goes a long, long way, and sure does. the opposite of that goes a long way towards undermining. Yeah, it's kind of astonishing, even when we think we're in a situation where the doctors are guardedly on board. The difference between that medical team member and the team member who's like, no, they are fine. Like their weight is the same as it was. It is fine. As or if they're to, not fine, be able to tell you why and what needs to be addressed. Like right. you just need that data. You need that information. You need, you need that information. Or else um, that's part of the spiral. Then you start trying to do it yourself. Right. Right. Even the if the doctor says, I don't know, do you think they're okay? That's enough to make you go, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So you, you need somebody who's going to be able to give you some actual factual information. Um, I think the other person on that team, and it would be helpful if you could even have two people, is one close to you who's going to be supportive in that, but also somebody who's a little bit removed who knows them, like grandma, maybe who doesn't come over every day, who can say, oh my gosh, look look at the progress they've made over these number of days that it's sometimes hard to see when you're in it on the day-to-day. Or a teacher um, or a friend that lives out right. of town or somebody that you can be like, okay, mm-hmm. let's just debrief on what's going on here. And then a somebody mm-hmm. closer, right? Is the other person? Yeah, somebody close who can slog through it with you, who can say, go in the other room, lay down, I'll handle this meal. Yeah. You know, so a close person. And some, sometimes there's, you know, these can be rolled into different scenarios. But I think those are the three kinds of personalities that seem to make this process a little bit easier for families. Someone who knows you well, someone who can see some progress in the child, and someone who can do some medical factual Yeah. And if you don't, if you're a single parent, you don't have that kind of like on the ground support or it just isn't working, you know, whatever the reason being from a personality standpoint or a scheduling standpoint that you're not going to be able to get it that way. See if there's other stuff you could do to reduce your stress and worry in other ways. You know, Mm -hmm. think about freezing meals or doing stuff ahead of time so that there's um, less and and really adjusting your schedule. So you're being taxed less less during mm-hmm. the times that are marked by the most change, therefore tr- the most triggering of the and different emotions. If you have other kids, sometimes that's just someone who can take your other kid out, kids out, one or more kids out and give them a little treat of their own so that they're not feeling um, left out in this process. Cause that's a whole nother piece of the puzzle for a lot of families is this is an intensive period of time and feeling like, they're um, not able to give the rest of the family the attention it deserves or work or, you know, whatever are those things. Again, this is a, a parent guilt thing that comes in, but doing the best you can to just say, I'm going to dedicate my time to this in this period of time and work needs to know, or I'm going to have somebody come and take my other kids out someplace three times mm-hmm. during this period, or, you know, really put some plans in place instead of sitting and spinning in this feeling of, um, guilt or inadequacy or frustration or whatever feeling bubbles up in there is making a plan to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And you, you, most people know what their, what their best self cares, mm-hmm. uh, best self care strategies are. But, but like we said, we'll dig into that a little bit more in the future. Mm-hmm. So I guess the moral of the story is it's normal to have a wide range of worries and feelings even though you're embarking on a journey that's ultimately going to lead you to a really joyous um, at place. That's a, that's a, that's a really normal thing. So we're just trying to shine a little bit of light on that. 
um, because I don't think, like I said, there's people that have a lot of frame of reference of other people that have been through it. So just know that this may happen for you and try to come up with some strategies before you wean your child um, to kind of get back in line if, if you feel like you're spiraling a bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, we hope that this was helpful and um, we hope that we're wrong and that it's a super easy process for all of you. But if it's not, just know that it's normal. All right. We'll be back next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tube to Table podcast. Every week, we're going to share our show notes at thrivewithspectrum.com. In the show notes, you can find a summary of what we discussed and links to all the resources that we mentioned. Also, you can visit us on social media and Instagram and Facebook. We can be found at Thrive with Spectrum. And on Twitter, you can find us at Thrive with SP. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media and let us know if you have any input or any topics that you'd really like to see us address. We'll be back next week.